Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark-Moore, and I'm joined here today by my co-host, Caroline Deason. Hi, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. We're also joined here by a special guest. He's an associate professor and graduate chair at Western University's Department of History. But more important than all that, he's one of the hosts of Hold My Order, Terrible Dresser, a deep dive history nerd podcast that looks at the world through the lens of WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome to Rob McDougall. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Start us off as always, Caroline. Anything interesting you've been watching on Netflix? Uh, yeah, so last week I went and saw Civil War, um, the new Captain America movie, Captain America colon Civil War, I guess, is the real... I keep referring to Civil War and hoping that someone thinks well, that I'm talking about... You did about, do a review of Ken Burns' Civil Ken War Burns. for us, though, yeah. so... I know, I, I keep hoping that someone is like, oh, you're a great review, but nobody has, so go and read my review on well, Ken Burns' Civil War, <laughs> and then we can talk about Captain America's Civil War. Uh, but anyway, after that movie, I got home and I loved the character of Ant-Man so much in that movie that I figured I should watch his movie because I hadn't seen it before. And it is on Canadian Netflix, thankfully. I love the character of Ant-Man, meaning I love Paul Rudd. Yeah, he's so <laughs> great. He is Paul, It is just Paul Rudd. It's a Paul Rudd vehicle. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing. No, it was great. It's my new favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Ant-Man. How about you, Rob? Anything interesting you've been watching on Netflix recently? Ah, I mean, I think I'm watching the same thing as everybody else, but what I'm watching is probably not as interesting to me right now as how I'm watching it, which is that, uh, you know, there's all these shows that I either get behind in or maybe I was never on board with. And, you know, now there's like two, three, four, five seasons. And I never thought I could do this, but I like I've started. I don't know if this is heresy, but I've started like just like download a list of like top 10 episodes uh, from the internet and watch the best 10 episodes out of sequence. And it's it's great. It's changed my <laughs> life. It's like opened up a whole new world. So now, which series have you done this with? Well, I, I mean, I started with Mad Men, which I had watched the first half of Mad Men, but somehow sort of fallen off the wagon partway along. And so I, I find just, that that show is super easy to do that with, where you're just like, I'm yeah. really enjoying this. Yeah. And then you're watching something else and you don't <laughs> yeah. even know what happened. You're yeah. Just, well, Mad Men doesn't really, I mean, you can come in anywhere and kind of piece it together. There's not like so much has happened. But now I really I'm sort of started doing this with other things, too, where it's maybe like a little little bit more you know so like I have to turn in my tv cred but i never watched all of breaking bad and like now i can like oh i'll just watch like the 10 best breaking bads or i'll watch the best three episodes of the new daredevil or i'll watch or like comedies like, where you know it doesn't really matter if you watch them in sequence so like you know i'm never going to catch up with all of the parks and recs so like it just it just frees me up totally where now suddenly this thing that just you know these pleasures that had become work now, now I can face it again. I'm like, yeah. Instead of like knowing that I have two years of TV ahead of me, I can be like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to jump idea. to the best ones. Yeah, and now you can, you know, you can still water cooler with people. You, you can know absolutely the... water cooler. You can totally fake it. No one is ever going to catch that. No. You just like you just change the subject and be like, yeah, but did you see the one where this happened? Yeah, and, and then everyone will be yeah. it will want to talk about that one because it's one of the most popular it's one episodes. Of the best ones. There yeah. we go. I yeah. love this idea. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to share your top ten lists with us, so we can do that too. Well, I've do. never, I've never watched Breaking Bad. Well, either. now it creates a use for those top ten lists because they're everywhere; they're all over <laughs> the internet. So, do you watch them ten to one or one to ten? Uh, I think the way to go is ten to one to sort of like really build up, up to the to the best thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, I mean, sometimes you don't know exactly what's going on, but that gives you a little puzzle to figure out. Also, you know, a little game to yeah. play with yourself. Like, Get who's that guy? Little... What's that guy? Yeah. Yeah. So. What that guy say Wikipedia when I said who's that guy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
do a little Wikipedia treasure hunt afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Well, the movie that we're here to talk about this week is from the year 2016. It's a fresh one. It's directed by John Lee. We're going to be talking about Pee-wee's Big Holiday. Before we get into it, I should let you know that today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London, Ontario's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. So the ways that Netflix describes this movie. First, when you hover over the title, it says, It's time to break out of his comfy small-town routines and live a little. Pee-wee hits the road for an epic adventure. Not bad? That's fine. It's fine. Sure. Suitable? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, when we get into it, I don't want to jump the gun, but when we get into it, I have a problem with the fact that he's got he's stuck in the small town routine because like Pee Wee's been to the moon like like <laughs> um, uh, so but if, I'm jumping the gun uh, the the description is entirely cromulent. When you click on the title, the description changes to a chance encounter with a mysterious stranger Joe Mang with a mysterious stranger Joe Manganello points Pee Wee towards his destiny and his first ever holiday. Nothing wrong there either. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Wait, is that how we say his name? I know there's an entire part of the movie devoted to not being able to say we his better, name. We better but nail that down. Yeah. But he, right said, he says Manganello. Manganello? He Manganello. Himself, Joe yeah. himself says Which Manganiello. threw me off. It because looks like Manglione it, or whatever, doesn't it? Well, like, it, it's <laughs> it re, it, if you were to read it without being able to pronounce it, the way he does, <laughs> I would say Manganiello because there's the oh, I in there. Yes, but okay. he says Manganiello, and I figure he's got more authority on yes. the subject mm-hmm. than I do. So. Okay, Manganiello. 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 Okay, got it. The genres this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are children and family movies, movies for ages 8 to 10, movies for ages 11 to 12, and family features. And the moods it assigns are family-friendly and quirky. So, Rob... Not super gay? <laughs> Is that what they have, that mood? <laughs> Got a whole category for gay and lesbian films, yeah. but it's not in here. Uh, so, Rob... This was your choice, uh-huh. a choice that you kind of backpedaled from a little no, no, bit. No, 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 I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on it. I'm happy we're doing it. Yes, yes. So why Pee-wee's Big Holiday? Uh, okay, so I mean, I chose it not having seen it, but uh, um, I figured that at least part of my bona fides for being on this podcast are, uh, it's not that everything I watch is recycled pop culture from the 80s, but that is part of my bona fides for being on here. And recycled pop culture is certainly part of Netflix's business model at this point. I think their algorithms have shown that uh, aging Gen Xers like stuff that they used to like again in another form. So there's lots of that to go around. Pee-wee in particular, I mean, Pee-wee's Playhouse, the show that was on in the 80s, was this it was really important to me. This wonderful, weird show, this kind of unexpected, undeserved marvel in the middle of a time which really, you know, it just it was not of its time. And Pee Wee Herman, the character, is this wonderful character. And then, you know, we can get into this, but Paul Rubens was kind of cruelly, criminally mistreated by the culture at large, I would say. So the fact that he's having a bit of a renaissance completely warms my heart however creaky or unnecessary the movie turned out to be. I was just like, yes, I'm down with that. Pee-wee's back. That's cool. Uh, so that was, my, that was my thinking even before I saw the film. 
All right, so uh, Caroline, I'm wondering about context for you. Is Pee Wee Herman uh, a thing that you're aware of? Did you watch it growing up? Are you are you familiar with, with what's going on? Or? So my familiarity with Pee Wee Herman is very limited. I remember it being either directly before or directly after Muppet Babies uh-huh. in the lineup of TV <laughs> that I really loved. And Muppet Babies kind of was the you know, the thing that my entire life revolved around. So I think it was kind of like a necessary thing to get through to get to Muppet Babies. I don't have any <laughs> particular, you know, like I don't think I even really watched the full episodes or anything like that. It was, you know, the eyes eyes on the prize were Muppet Babies for me. Uh, and I remember the chair that talked and yeah. had arms that flailed. Yeah, like cherry, the chair. Cherry, that <laughs> cherry. makes sense, given the movie, yeah, Amishy and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Helicoptery. There was, there was right. a chair named Cherry and, and a pterodactyl named Terry and a f- talking floor named Flory. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's really lovely. And so, yeah, so I don't... And I've never seen the other movies. I've never seen uh, The Big Adventure or... What's the other one? The, the Christmas one, I guess? There's a Christmas special and there's also a... A big top peewee, a circus movie. Okay, yeah. So I haven't seen any of those. So going into this movie, I was very, you know, pretty rookie about Peewee Herman. And I know, Dylan, you were even even less than that, right? Yeah, I've never seen it. I've been kind of aware of him as a concept. I didn't realize quite how big of a deal he was. I just kind of figured it was something that passed me by. I didn't... Watching this movie felt like he is kind of a cultural staple. Like, like there is a part of the language that I was missing out <laughs> on by not knowing it. The history lesson here is that, you know, you guys are both young and you kind of grew up basically while he was in exile. Because, right, because uh, it was 1991 that yeah, he, he yeah. was uh, Yeah, 1991, he's arrested in a porn theater. There were theaters for porn in those <laughs> days. And uh, they were legal, but you weren't allowed to masturbate in them. So, uh, you seems know, which very seems very counterintuitive. Seems like entrapment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, and uh, yeah, and and he was he was arrested for that. And I mean, it's really weird to think today, the things that celebrities get away with and the things that you can do to remember what that did to his career. And I think that uh, I mean, I think part of it was that, you know, his two crimes were that he, he was, you know, he was odd. And, and so even though the show was not lewd, was not sexual, it definitely made certain kinds of people uncomfortable. And so once he was arrested, suddenly it was like, oh, now we have our explanation. He's a prevert. And there we go. That's the story. Right. And and then the other thing is that he sort of refused to, or I think was just too embarrassed and shy to, he's very private, uh, especially about his sexuality, Paul Rubens, but he was embarrassed or too shy. He didn't follow the kind of standard celebrity post scandal script like you know you can get away whatever you do if then you go on oprah or it would have been leno or letterman at the time and cry and 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 say i'm sorry and let everyone kind of make fun of you for 20 minutes on the show you can get through almost anything and people will forgive you and then you know six months later people magazine will say you're having a comeback but he just didn't do that he just retired the character and disappeared for you know, 15 years. Well, I do remember he was in that movie Mystery Men. Yes. That was, was that kind of his return to... Yeah, there was a few things he did, not as Pee-wee, of course, but right. Paul Rubens turned up in Batman Returns, which, uh, because, of course, Tim Burton was a right. good friend of his. He was in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, and then he was in right. Mystery Men. he's the guy yeah, who... Uh, he dies, he's the guy who he won't has a die. long death yeah. sequence. Have, yes. you seen, have you seen that no, movie? I haven't. He gets stabbed in the heart with a stake. 
and he just he spends the whole rest of the movie and it's the first post credit sequence yes. i remember ever yeah. Yeah. it's him still just oh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. protracted death yeah. sentence yeah well that's kind of a paul rubin staple is the the sort of rake stepping thing that like goes on and stops being funny but then it comes, and back, then around. comes back around to being <laughs> funny again i mean that, that happens in this movie too but uh that's a, that's definitely one of his uh in his wheelhouse yeah it's reminded me in terms of the return of this pariah a while ago in the uh in the, the kind of lost episodes of netflix when we talked about this is it with michael jackson because again uh. this was somebody who i came into cultural awareness during this period of scandal whereas you're a joke first and a performer long second after that so it's been really fascinating to discover the source of all of this yeah. again yeah. yeah so so yeah it was it was really fascinating i didn't I mean, I didn't buy it completely. Like, there's there's a lot to this character yeah. to, to so try to understand. But I have a question for you, though, Rob, because I know that you enjoy when Dylan and I and Dylan's other guests talk about things that are nostalgic for them. Were you hoping that this was nostalgic for us, or were 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 you just you know this is nostalgic for me and I'm going to talk about it? Because when Dylan Dylan tweeted earlier today that this is the first piece of Pee Wee Herman media that I've ever experienced, I thought, oh crap, does Rob not know that? And now you know he's uh, going to show up, and we're both kind of like, what is Pee Wee Herman? And no, I wasn't thinking about you at all. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't concerned about that. Good. I. Uh, I mean, I did. I think that part of. When Dylan said that I that I somewhat walked back my choice, I think that I, I definitely had a moment of like, oh, geez, what's it going to be like for someone who doesn't know what they're getting in for and uh, just has no referent for this? But I don't want to impose. I'm not going to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't like. Um, I'm not going to say that this is, you know, this is meaningful to me. It's not like required reading for anybody else. But uh, I'm really curious to hear what you thought, because I think that the experience of like wondering what the hell is this? And is this supposed to be like this? Um, and is this for me? Uh, is all part of watching Pee Wee Herman. So, right. you know, so I think that like I, I showed it to my kids the other day and uh, um, showed them an episode of The Playhouse the other day. And they started out you know, very trepidatious. Like, what is this old weird thing that dad is inflicting on us? And because uh, they're just old enough yeah. to like question those <laughs> to things question, now. Exactly, yeah, exactly. They're starting to learn that dad is a person who has yeah, flaws. That, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. This is an important lesson for them to learn about my yeah my flaws. Right. But then you know, then at a certain point, Pee Wee and Miss Yvonne do the puppet dance, which is this thing where this very '80s video effect where their heads are superimposed on marionettes that look like them, and the marionettes do this ridiculous dance and it's just everybody just cracked up laughing and sort of like then they kind of realized oh it's just what it is it just is this crazy silly thing stop waiting for it to sort of you know explain itself yeah yeah okay you just reminded me of something that i do remember from this show which is one of those fortune tellers in a in a box yeah right? yeah what's, what's that character jombie the genie it's he's Jambi, just a okay. floating head in a box right yes. although yes. there is one episode where he gets he gets hands delivered to him in the mail. And, uh, <laughs> and as soon as he gets the hands, he says, there's something I've been waiting to do for ages. And it, it cuts away. And you never find out what that is, what, he, what he's been waiting to do with his hands. <laughs> I'm not surprised based on having watched this movie. Yeah, so I was going to say that the I was watching it while I was chatting with someone who had seen uh, hadn't seen this movie, but was a big fan of Pee Wee Herman. Mm -hmm. And so it started out 
and he had a couple interactions with some people and i said to my friend so is is, is he gay or <laughs> <laughs> and my friend was like well i mean i don't think it's ever overtly stated or anything like that but you know it's a it's a queer character in you know the campy sense yeah. and he's definitely become kind of a queer icon um as a result of that and then within you know the first convers- i know what scene you're thinking of yeah, yeah. The, the conversation the first conversation with joe when peewee learns who joe is but has never heard of him before and he says you know from true blood and peewee says no i don't know and he says <laughs> what about Magic Mike? And Pee-wee says, you'd, you'd think, think so, so. <laughs> but no. <laughs> and as soon as that happened, I was like, okay, movie, you have my attention. This is great. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciated that that joke kind of works on two levels because if you're looking for that, yeah. then you're kind of like, you're assuming that Pee-wee Herman does actually know what Magic Mike is, but it could also be like, you know, there's, there's this whole like innocence thing yeah. to the character yeah. that yeah. it's like, Oh, magic. Yeah, that's right up my alley. Right, right? Exactly. Yeah. Be, yeah, magic Mike could be one of the people who comes to visit him at yeah, the place. Or he's just humoring him in his snarky way. Right. Sort of, you know, oh, you'd, you'd think I'd know that thing. Like when he's sort of telling him, you know, hold on to your dreams. But yeah, I mean, the movie definitely, I, I feel like the movie kind of kicks into gear when Joe Manganello walks in and they have this incredible chemistry together. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's where Joe Manganello was a great was great for me as somebody new to this to kind mm-hmm. of be this familiar face from True Blood and from Magic Mike to help me understand <laughs> that yeah seeing Joe Manganiello act this way is weird and so Pee Wee Herman is weird and that's just kind of the point of yeah. this whole thing yeah. right and Fairville is weird yeah. right like the layers of nostalgia that are smack smacking you in the face before you even get to the nostalgia of actual Pee Wee Herman being a nostalgic thing yeah and yeah, because yeah, I think, you know, and, and you know, the Playhouse, Pee-wee's Playhouse was very much, it was definitely riffing on and sort of a pastiche of, like, 1950s kids TV, kind of Howdy Doody or Mickey Mouse Club kind of thing. But again, Paul Rubens is always so, he's so private to the point where, you know, he, like, for a long time only did interviews and, and things as Pee-wee Herman. Um, in and fact, he's credited as Pee Wee Herman. Cre- Pee Wee Herman yeah. plays himself. That's yeah. right. And, and one of the first places he he uh, introduced the character back in the seventies was he went on the dating game as Pee Wee Herman, um, and <laughs> wow. like even like went through the whole audition process in character so that the people at the show thought this was a real guy and like got on and was like the, yeah and, and uh, that's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's just very he plays his cards very close to his chest both in terms of like whether it's meant to be weird, whether it's meant to be campy, and you were just saying sort of you know whether it's meant to be gay, whether it's meant to be queer. Um, which, I mean, I think all that stuff is there, but he always maintains plausible deniability or something like that, Like, which is not to say that it's not extremely camp at points and extremely gay at points. Uh, but I think that, and again, maybe this is, you know, you had to do in, it was you know, to do a kid's show in the 1980s, like uh, it was a different thing. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't have a gay host of a kid's TV show in the 1980s. So whether that's why or whether, I think it's also just part of the, the aesthetic of the character is that yeah nobody's ever going to come around the side and explain to you yeah this is what the deal is yeah the the thing that this the experience that this reminded me of the most and the conversation this reminded me of the most is when i was talking to josh morrison about the muppets and just the whole concept of the muppets because not only was there this you know there's this overtone undertone i don't even know what like there's there's 
it's very easy to do a queer reading on the text. You know, everybody can find something within themselves, you know, feeling weird, feeling different, but realizing that everybody's weird, everybody's different. But also we kind of just touched on a little bit the fact that Pee Wee Herman is not Paul Rubens. Pee Wee Herman is its own entity. Like yeah. he does interviews as Pee Wee Herman. He, you know, like you said, he went on the dating game as Pee Wee Herman uh, a couple of years ago as part of his resurgence. He hosted an episode of WWE Raw <laughs> as Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. And it was the same yeah. thing with like Miss Piggy goes out and records albums right, and right. she claims yes. awards and beats actual yeah. people for these awards <laughs> yeah. at awards yeah. shows. So uh, Miss this... Piggy is a person. I'm not entirely sure what you're implying there. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, that they maintain that the Muppets also maintain the sense that uh, that they are, you know, yeah, that and, and that that they are real outside of the show, right? And, right. Uh, you know, I, that was a great episode uh, where you were talking about the the Muppets and the Great Muppet Caper, and there's there's obvious parallels between this, you know, to me beloved thing from the '70s and or '80s. The possibly unnecessary remake, but still running on a lot of on a lot of goodwill, and this question of you know, Josh was saying on your show that he was saying you know he was talking about it uh, about the Muppets as being important to him as 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 having this queer text or subtext and how what a big deal that was you know as a young person and I would say you know you know maybe it doesn't it's not as kind of profound or powerful for a straight cis teenage boy uh but like straight teenage boys can also stand a little weirdness and queerness in their Definitely. life and that was absolutely important and significant to me back you know back in the in the day in the uh when I was watching uh Pee-wee's Playhouse and just the character yeah I think it's really important for children to have things that they also don't relate to right and this, <laughs> yeah. especially when it comes to to queer media I think yeah. that if a child is saying you know I don't understand this and this I don't identify with this but now I can understand their point of view better I think it is important to to remember that children don't have to see themselves in every single thing that they are you know are presented because they're not going to see themselves in every person that they meet and that's how bigotry is manifest right <laughs> yeah but yeah. and that's where I, you know you use the phrase plausible deniability but yeah. it, it's it, it may be more trying to maintain the possibility of identity that i mean you can find something in yourself in this character yeah not to go completely against what you're saying but i mean because he's so nebulous mm-hmm based on whatever it is that you're looking for in it, that all it takes is a bit of a shift in your perspective to kind of understand that, you know, the parts that don't appeal to me probably, you know, yeah. are important to somebody yeah. else. Yeah. You know, like the idea of, you know, this this grown man being in a clubhouse, being face-to-face with Joe Manganiello <laughs> yeah. sipping, little. you know, sipping little straws at each other. Like, that's... I, yeah. I, I would not have been surprised if they kissed, and I wasn't yeah. surprised that they did. I was, it was I just... Was like, Slamming my fist on the table, going kiss, 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 kiss. <laughs> rooting for them, sure that, but I, you know they're they're all, as close as they can come to kissing. Um, yeah, but you know, is he? You know, do we read him as gay? Do we read him as straight? Do we read him as an adult or as a child? Mm-hmm, like because they call him a boy when he's yeah, lost in the well. Yeah, it's all <laughs> stuck down a well. That was the most quaint, safe thing. <laughs> Because I was I was looking at the timer on this on the movie to be like, okay, so he's just gone to the party. There's 15 minutes left. What's going to be like the big thing that happens? And it's that he falls down a well. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's like it's a problem out of a 40s text, not yeah. something from 2016. Which is every single thing that happens to him. Everything that happens Absolutely. to him along yeah. the way. And, you know, so, I mean, as I've been kind of implying in my tone, it's not that I loved everything about this movie. There's a kind of like hokey 
half-acidness to it at times. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it creates this kind of amiable, kitschy world of old, you know, it's, it's kind of just stitched together with, uh, you know, old, you know, the 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 three bank robbers that are like out of a, either a Russ Meyer movie Russ or, Meyer, a, or sure. a pulp novel or something. Yeah. And, you know, some work better than the others. Like, I didn't love the Farmer's Daughter sequence. That seemed kind of mean-spirited in a way to me. But still, it's yeah. all this, like, you know, just these hokey old bits, right? Yeah. Although the image of yeah. when he climbs out the window and she's got a full, <laughs> full like, multi-course dinner prepared yes. on the roof outside of the window. Yeah, that, that forgave that whole sequence for me. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I won't just talk about... Pee-wee's Playhouse, but of course the show, watching the movie, called up all these memories of the Playhouse. Thinking about queerness and campiness on it, there's one episode where, first of all, Pee-wee's having a sleepover party, and uh, Cowboy Curtis, who's played by Lawrence Fishburne, um, is uh, is embarrassed that he 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 wants to sleep over, but he sleeps in the nude. And there's all this discussion of whether he could sleep in the nude. And then eventually, Jombie the genie wishes him some new jammies so he can stay. <laughs> and then the other thing that happens at the party is Pee Wee's eating fruit salad, and he says, "I love fruit salad." And everybody says, "If you love it, why don't you marry it?" And he says. I will. And then like the next 10 minutes is him is a whole wedding ceremony for Pee Wee marrying this bowl of fruit salad. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. uh, and, the, and, and the fruit salad isn't like often on Pee Wee's Playhouse. The food is animated and claymation. In fact, the people who went on to do uh, Wallace and Gromit did the animation. Um, but this is just a bowl of fruit salad. But they put <laughs> a little veil on it and uh, they say you may kiss the bride. And uh, uh, yeah, so that's got to be there's got to be somebody who wrote there. Uh, you know, gender studies thesis on that in the <laughs> 90s on that episode. That's great. Well, and, that, and it reminds me of when the three, the Russ Meyer type of robbers are escaping uh, for the last time and they say goodbye to Pee Wee and Elia Shotcat gets out of the car and they exchange their Pee Wee uh, knife back and forth a right. couple of times and then she kisses him on the cheeks. <laughs> They're exchanging their peewing anyway. So. <laughs> right. There's, you I see, mean, it just, it just calls see, out for first, it. Yeah. First, Pee-wee's marrying everything. a fruit, and yeah. now yeah, you know, exchanging a peewee knife back and forth. Tossing blades yeah. back and forth, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, but yeah, and so she kisses him on, on the cheeks, one, yes. two, right? And I remember like thinking, like, oh, that's so cool that she kissed him on the cheeks, that they didn't make it a lip thing, you know, that they uh-huh. left this open. And then... You know, a beat happens and then they kiss on the yeah. lips. Yeah. And the other two make a big deal of this. So it's like a real, you know, they're both like, ah, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. And and so that's when I was kind of like, oh, what is this? Are you trying to hetero it back in? Or like, what do you, you know, what's the point to this kiss? Yeah. I don't know. I was kind of disappointed about it. I don't know. I think that's him also kind of playing at fulfilling the destiny that Joe Manganiello has set out for him. That, but you know, he, like he already they... broke the hearts, though. He broke the hearts of the the farmer's girls. He did. And he this wouldn't be breaking her heart. Yeah. It could also be, I mean, like he, part of him being so nebulous and everything could be that he's just like, oh, well, she kissed me, so I'm going to kiss her back, and we'll see how that feels. And then everybody freaks out, and he likes sure. putting on a show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think. And it could be it could be for her as well that he's doing it, because she's kind of tentatively going out and doing it, and he knows that he's leaving, so hey, maybe I like, think this, so. this gesture, of, this gesture so. of affection could be be a, a little token for her to take with her right but if we're thinking about a more surface reading this netflix is aiming this from like kids 8 to 12 yeah 8 to 12 year old kids are not going to be like 
oh, okay, so this is just, you know, a token thing and um, his sexuality remains firmly, ambi- firmly ambiguous. You know, yeah. kids are going to yeah. be like, oh, they're in love, right? Like, I'm not saying kids are stupid. Yeah. I'm just saying that yeah. this is a thing yeah. that the movie is doing in order to try and be like, hey, you know, and, and now Pee-wee got a kiss. Right. Right. He gets but, a kiss. He never does kiss Joe Manganiello. Right. And so you might walk away, a, a naive reader might walk away thinking, oh, yeah, there was a love interest. But he sure seemed to spend a lot of time on the bike with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely does. <laughs> yeah, there was so much, so much shtick in this, <laughs> and so much of it was like familiar stuff that I was like, I'm pretty sure my grandpa told me that joke. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember not laughing at it then. Aww. Like at, at that point, like it, it is curious. Yeah. And you mentioned at the very beginning, like who is this for? Yeah, because you know my kids don't know like old farmer, <laughs> you know yeah. farmers' daughters jokes and things like that so it's i don't know if they're trying to touch on everything or it's just because the world that we're living in is this place of kind of safe comedy these are the the images that we associate with that so that's part of how we build this this folksy world yeah well a lot of it i mean i'm gonna play on the nostalgia bit of again mm-hmm. like it's not just nostalgia for people who like peewee herman it's nostalgia for i mean like they're they're that grizzly bear guy that's grizzly adams right like yeah. there's a whole bunch of references being made to things that my dad you know as a baby boomer would have watched while he was growing right. up right? right and my dad wasn't watching peewee herman in the 80s he was yeah. older than that right so it's a very strange i don't i don't know who it's pointing at yeah yeah i mean i think the you know, the best answer to the question, who is it for, is it sort of like, if you want it, it's for you. It's sort mm-hmm. of that, I, I, there's very often, um, when you watch like uh, kids movies, kids media, you're always being told, you're always being reassured, oh, it's for kids, but but grownups will like it too. They put stuff in for grownups too. And usually that means like, they're going to alternate fart joke and a monkey song and then a fart joke and then a Kim Kardashian reference. And like, it's, it's not for everyone. It's just sort of like this weird hodgepodge. And I think that like, I don't know that there's this kind of, that Rubens has this commitment to just sort of like doing the thing and not winking, even when the thing is this extremely hokey, egregiously hokey thing. <laughs> and so sometimes that is like transcendent and other times, yeah, it will leave you cold and you're just sort of like, why am I watching this? <laughs> yeah. What am I watching? Yeah, well, yeah. When you bring that up, I'm thinking of the whole yeah. Amish sequence yeah. where I was like, you're doing an Amish bit? <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that the showstopper? Isn't that the best scene in the movie or one of the best scenes with the balloon? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's dedication right there. I timed it because I was like, no way is this going on this long. It's a single shot and it's yeah. two minutes and I think 10 seconds <laughs> of him just deflating this balloon and then this raucous applause. That that's like his, his, his long Martin Scorsese shots. Sort of you know, it's kind of extreme. It's yeah. it's certainly brave to just kind of yeah. just do it. Yeah, you know so it you, doesn't matter. I mean, you guys are being very polite, but you can say if you thought it's this, this was ridiculous or stupid or or well, whatever. It sometimes was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, I never I never felt like I was sore for watching the movie or anything like that. It was just there was there were things where I thought, okay, maybe I didn't realize how ridiculous it was, this was going to be going in, and that if you were if I if I had been a fan of the previous media going in, kind of thinking, okay, this is going to be like you know all of the cheesy references that you could possibly make are going to be in this movie that would have i would have been in a different headspace but i was kind of in the same headspace as dylan where it was kind of like seriously you're gonna do like (laughs) after that you're gonna do another one and then when he fell down the well like even just before like i i knew the second he was in a cab and he's like i'm on my way and then i saw him 
outside in Central Park, yeah. I was like, why didn't it drop you off right at the house? <laughs> like, something bad is going to happen because you got out before the actual party and then you fell on a stupid pit. But <laughs> the, there was never a point where I was, you know, like, regretful about spending 90 minutes watching this movie. There were a lot of parts that I laughed at and a lot of parts that I thought were really, really sweet. And if this is a resurgence of his of the character, mm-hmm. I think it is a really important thing um, when it comes to, you know, bringing weird stuff yeah. back yeah. to kids specifically. Because I do think that having stuff that we can't explain is really awesome for kids. Having stuff where, like you were saying, where your kids were just kind of like, okay, I just have to stop questioning why this is happening <laughs> and, and enjoy the entertainment value of it. That's yeah. something that I remember from my childhood. I remember watching TV shows that would never pass the network, whatever, because it's not educational enough. Or, yeah. you know, yeah. there's, you know, and, and, and I think there's something to be said about an education that comes from you know, like more of a cultural, a wider cultural spectrum, which Pee Wee definitely gives you. Uh, speaking as a London, someone from London, Ontario, you know, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in like a really cool raucous queer scene or anything yeah. like that. So yeah. having, having, having something like that to, to just be part of my everyday, you know, I'm going to have the ABCs yelled at me for 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to watch some weirdness that is not explainable in any other way i think it's really i think it's really great so no i have nothing i have nothing against this movie at all i think that it would have been i watched it stone cold sober as i (laughs) watch everything but i think it would have been one of those things that like as an adult now if i had been like a little tipsy while i was watching it i would have been like way more into it (laughs) yeah okay a couple of things so one with regards to where cartoons and children's media is at now Mm -hmm. i think that it's almost pitch perfect to where cartoons are at right now because I was listening to, I believe it was the Crack Podcast, and they were talking about how children's media is kind of moving through these these cycles, or at least these different stages that, you know, when we were growing up, it, children's media was largely things like Care Bears and, and things like that. and uh, Just even, like long Mattel commercials. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. commercial yeah. for yeah. 20 robots that turn into 20 other robots. Yeah, yeah. so these very toyetic <laughs> things. Yeah. And then it moved on to this phase of anime, which was huge mm-hmm. for, you know, five to ten years. Yeah. Um, but then they moved on. I mean, SpongeBob happened. That kind of yeah. changed the landscape. Yeah. So now so much of what's out there is SpongeBob and Adventure Time. And it yeah. is weird and weird is being celebrated and embraced by children but also the parents of the kids yeah yeah of these kids that it's you know it's this relatable weird sort of thing and i think peewee could fit very comfortably into that right now yeah that's great that's that makes a lot of sense and that's you know i don't want to give him all credit for it but definitely i think he's just been pulling the strings the whole time (laughs) yeah all that time when we thought he was in exile um but no i agree that it's anticipating that sort of yeah yeah because it's like as soon as you mentioned spongebob i was like oh spongebob is peewee herman but like you know but he's a he's a he's a cartoon sponge so he can get away with it in a a way that a a human man couldn't he even works as the fry cook in a restaurant that's right right. there is a similarity there and and you know and and even you know for grown-up content like uh you know the sort of anarchic sensibilities of like adult swim and just like you know you can be yeah you can't be too weird now it seems but you know thinking about um you know as we were saying compare this to just what was on saturday mornings in the 1980s like it was um, you know, you have your Smurfs, your Muppet Baby, sure. You have your underwater Smurfs. You have the, you know, you have 
Underwater Smurfs? You're talking uh, about the Smoggies? The Snorks, I believe. <laughs> okay. Um, you remember the Smoggies? Yes, I do remember the Smoggies, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, some 40-year-old Looney Tunes with, like, most of the racism taken out. But uh, <laughs> I also um, grew up watching that. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, like, really nothing, you know, very, like, strangeness, weirdness, weirdness for weirdness sake, queerness, certainly, it was just not on the radar, right? So watching... The movie, you know, I, I mean, I, I couldn't help but care, compare it to Pee-wee's Playhouse, and I wanted it to be Pee-wee's Playhouse. And I think that the difference was, like, the character of Pee-wee Herman is, I, I think, just so wonderful. This kind of, like, you know, all the queerness stuff we've been talking about, but also this, like, meticulously observed portrait of childhood, right? He's sort of like this really, you know, he just gets all these mannerisms that kids have right and and that sort of thing. But then... In, in the original show, they kind of stuck him in this this world that was insane. Like, it was all designed by kind of, uh, you know, conceptual artists and, like, punk uh, um, uh, underground cartoonists and, and, you know, the people like the Residents and uh, Mark Mothersbaugh and Devo and, and Gary Panter, this underground cartoonist. Like, they designed the set and they made this sort of whole crazy world where everything was alive. The food in the fridge is alive and the floor is alive and the chair is alive. And, uh, um, and like, you know, the kitschy, sort of amiable kitschy world of Pee-wee's Holiday is... Uh, is like so it's too sanitized you're saying it's almost it's not strange enough for me oh. yeah i wish that it was another like the difference is you know there's a consider the fact that the first Wee herman movie was directed by tim burton right and this was produced by judd apatow who we were just talking about before right, right. and uh you know apatow is, is like a good observer of adolescent uh, arrested development man children certainly so he has he has a right <laughs> to do this material but uh you know but he's it's a very naturalistic, like real world sort of a sent- sensibility. Compare that to, you know, to putting Pee Wee in Tim Burton's world or putting Pee Wee in this sort of world of uh, the playhouse. And it, 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 it just works a little differently. So that that's strange oh, then cool. because, you know, this felt like instead of Pee Wee in this mess of insanity, it's yeah. what would happen if you put Pee Wee in Riverdale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. see, kind of, and of course, he'd want to break out of that because he's not surrounded by this overstimulating nonsense it reminded me and even especially when he goes to his little miniature version of it it reminded me of the type of um toys we grew up with as kids where you know like you have the uh the meter meter made toy you know what i mean and like the um the the you know football coach toy and all that like it was all just set out like a playmobil set so (laughs) yeah hearing hearing how you're describing the playhouse in comparison like this makes me really want to go and watch the playhouse (laughs) now because it sounds so much stranger than it it is well it's on netflix yeah uh, i saw it when, and, uh, when i yeah. finished this one uh, it actually started booting up like should, an episode as soon as find i find a list of the top 10 episodes there that's right go. yeah there you go. yeah you don't need to watch all of them can... <laughs> just from hearing you describe it yeah i wonder what would happen to someone if they binge watched Playhouse. <laughs> like you probably on or something you probably <laughs> wouldn't be okay yeah just drop a little ayahuasca go on a trip <laughs> okay, yeah so that's that's also interesting to me hearing you talk about that world because what I was experiencing at first as it was starting because I was I went into this kind of with my arms crossed saying like all right impress me but also (laughs) worried that I wasn't going to get it because I hadn't been exposed Mm -hmm. so I was nervous as little bits were happening during that opening sequence of him driving around town with all of his gadgets that that there were yeah I was worried that there were references that were going over my head or that there were going to be cameos that 
that had slipped me by. So I know it's kind I of did a, notice I was looking up some of the actors and actresses yeah. afterwards, and there's a the the um, pilot of the plane car I right. guess was in the first movie, that's and so I was right. wondering how many times that happened, and I didn't notice. That's the only one I noticed, and mm. that it's interesting because yeah, she um, she hasn't done much else, and that's how no, I saw that. No, yeah, what's uh, I'm blanking on the name of the actress, but the actress who plays Penny King, who's what kind of like a kind of Catherine Hepburn esque aviatrix, <laughs> right, with a flying car. But she was in the uh, in the 1985 Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and uh, she plays like a waitress who Pee Wee sort of forms a connection with. It's kind of it's a little bit like the connection with Pee Wee with the the other Pee Wee, where it's it's this sort of you know very slightly romantic connection is formed oh. with this with this uh, waitress, and he convinces her to go off and follow her dreams, and she goes off to Paris or something like that. And so you know it's not a big part of the movie, but there is there's something a little poignant in having her back. But then there's also something a little weird in having her back because, of course, unlike Pee Wee, she has aged, <laughs> and, uh, and so you know that's one moment where it sort of draws your attention to. And we haven't talked about the you know makeup slash digital effects that make Paul Rubens not quite look like he did in the 1980s, but also not look like a 63 year old man or whatever he is. Yeah. But uh, so it, that that I think. That was probably meant to be what a callback or fan service or a reference, but the movie was not stuffed with those. Other than that, other than that one, I, I don't think that you needed. Uh, you know, there was no information being withheld from you that you didn't have. It's just a kind of sensibility that. Yeah. yeah. So, how did you feel about the look mm-hmm. of Pee Wee? Then was it unsettling to see that <laughs> that kind of you know that Play-Doh smear on his face <laughs> to to make sure that everything is is childlike or is that like is that a necessary evil that yeah you know, the, the technology kind of supports it so fine let's do it because it you know pb yeah. herman with wrinkles yeah would be probably even more unsettling and strange yeah probably so it's probably necessary didn't they do some cool i haven't seen it yet but didn't they do some cool special effects in the you were talking about Civil War and, and like the superhero movies are doing that now. They're just computer youngifying people, right? When they need to do oh, flashbacks. Yeah, for, uh, they did it for, um, for uh, RDJ and yeah. it was, oh, it was grotesque. I hated yeah. it. It <laughs> yeah. was really off-putting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're yeah, the, still there. I'm sorry, I was going to say the first time I remember that is from X-Men The Last Stand when they do the flashback when, yeah. when Eric and, uh, and Xavier first meet each other. Yeah. And it was weird seeing yeah yeah, patrick stewart being 30 (laughs) yeah i don't think they've got all the it's it's all the bugs out of that technology (laughs) yet Mm -hmm. it's in the uncanny valley so Mm -hmm. so no that was a little bit that was a little bit strange but i don't you're right it would have been better to have him look 63 uh you know i i don't think so something i discovered that i quite liked about the character is i think there's a lot of appeal to his you know, in in that childlike wonder, you know, mm-hmm. there's wonder, there's positivity, but he's also he's not oblivious. Yeah, he he understands what's going on well enough to tell people when they're being weird, yeah. and to tell people to shut up and to like yeah. go away, yeah. Yeah. and to want to get out of social situations. It's been and... real and it's been fun, <laughs> but it hasn't been real fun. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Let me let you let me run. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's because. This, I mean, I think that he is an accurate, when I say he's an accurate observer of childhood, he's like a wide-eyed innocent 
And he's also pretty self-centered and kind of snarky, like most kids I know, <laughs> you know, like he doesn't really care about what everyone else's deal is. And uh, yeah, and he'll tell them that. So we, there is a, I don't know if it's more of the camp thing. I mean, there is a recurring thing of in the movie of him, like sort of, in particular, him kind of blowing off women, right? Whether it's to, like from the librarian at the beginning, of course, all the farmer's daughters. It's, I don't know if that's like, you know, if, is he blowing off men in the same way? But anyway, there's certainly there's a thing where he like, yeah, is like um, talk to the hand and getting out of there. Yeah. No, I read that totally as a camp thing. Yeah, at yeah. The, and, and then that's why the kiss with Alia Shaka at the end it turned it around so much for me because I thought this is very unlike the character that I've understood this whole time. Because that is, that's totally, I mean, I'm, I'm blanking on examples right now, but I can, I, I feel like I'm very familiar with gay characters that are not overtly gay in the script or, or book or whatever, having hilarious, funny uh, ways that they had to get out of, you yeah. know, uh, a marriage or something like that, right? right? It's always right. played for jokes. Right. And it's always, it's never said, oh, it's because I don't like women. It's always, these women are undesirable for whatever reason, yeah. right? Which is, I think, what you were kind of getting at about the farmer's yeah. daughters and why you thought that that fell flat. Yeah. Because, I mean every single one of these women is overweight except for one, right? And so what is the point to that? Is the point to that, are we supposed to find these women very unattractive? And then is that supposed to then kind of mediate why we understand why Pee-wee's running away from this marriage? So there's a character on the playhouse, on Pee-wee's playhouse, called Miss Yvonne, the most beautiful woman in Puppetland. And she's always introduced that way. Whenever she comes, whenever she comes over, it's always Miss Yvonne is coming, the most beautiful woman in Puppetland. And she basically looks like one of those farmer's daughters. And whenever she's there, everybody, including Pee-wee, remarks on how beautiful she is and, uh, you know, talks about, you know, sort of their their eyes flutter and they hold their hands to their heart and they just, they always, they, they can't stop remarking on how beautiful she is. And, uh, you know, that's like, I don't know exactly what to make of that either, but it's much more warm-hearted mm-hmm. uh, and in a way subversive of beauty standards than... Uh, than the farmer's daughter bit yeah yeah yeah. and i mean i i was very cognizant as soon as i saw the first one was overweight i was like okay is this gonna be a whole bunch of fat jokes what's going on Uh here but i actually was very um i i thought that when Pee Wee was kind of like ooh, every single time kind of like you know making eyes back at the father being like oh this is great or whatever i i really did believe that like i thought i didn't think that i didn't think that what was going through Pee-wee's mind was, oh, this is gross, you know? (laughs) Um, I do, however, think that there is kind of a weird layer there for the audience where the audience would be saying, clearly he doesn't want to be with any of these women because they're not attractive. And the reason they're not attractive is because they're overweight. And even the one who isn't overweight is still not, you know, stereotypically attractive. Uh Uh So I don't actually think that Pee-wee is anti these women for that reason, which I think kind of gets back to my um, idea that this is kind of a longstanding thing that happens in these queer-coded characters where the reason that they get out of these marriages can be pinned on something else and it doesn't need to he doesn't need to out himself in order to get out of this because everybody's kind of like oh yeah that's totally understandable yeah Uh he's Uh at the very least a a confirmed bachelor right right Right, exactly yeah Yeah. and the rustmeyer women and mm-hmm. I call them that because the the one woman is very clearly, I think, faster pussycat, kill, kill. But also because I love the scene in Seinfeld where Elaine is complaining about the big breasted women who all work at the uh, diner. <laughs> yeah. And she goes to complain and she says, uh, it's like a Russ Meyer movie in there. <laughs> and the person she's complaining to doesn't know who Russ Meyer is. Russ, yeah, and he yeah. said, she's like, oh, he's this campy director from the 60s. He was obsessed with breasts. That's hard to say. 
obsessed with breasts. And so as soon as like as soon as they came on, I was like, this is clearly that. Yeah. And so it's another layer of like the campy. You know, we're gonna these are the, this is the hokiest, you know, most campy uh uh sexploitation type of you know movie right so calling that in but he's not attracted to them at all like there's no you know there's no he like cartoon eye bug out or yeah. or, or what you're describing this the mm-hmm. most beautiful woman in puppet land what she gets when yeah. she comes in right so and it being uh you know an overweight character who is praised for her beauty that reminds me of what this movie reminded me a lot of um and i think what Wee's playhouse would remind me a lot of and that's uh uh, john waters movies yeah um where he has a lot of overweight characters who are praised for their beauty and praised for all sorts of other things as Mm -hmm, well mm -hmm. and it's never even even when they talk about their own overweightness and even if they're downplaying something about themselves, all characters in those movies are doing that. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah, it's kind of like yeah. a level playing field for that way. And I think that that's definitely something, a symptom of camp to talk about bodies that are, uh, you know, easily consumed and easily rejected. And then to force the the viewer to, to think, you know, well, what happens when I'm forced to kind of see this body as a, a as an attractive body right and and because that's what camp's trying to do we've talked about this before and i'm pretty sure you and josh talked about it too where camp is trying to make you uncomfortable in order to ask you why you're uncomfortable uh, yeah, yeah. right it's like yeah. you said with uh, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about punch drunk love that there's these scenes of laughter and then it forces you to think about why you're laughing at it and it does that with that lineup of of the farmer's daughters who are basically reading themselves off like like a catalog of sex workers you know describing themselves with a couple of adjectives well they each have a food and then they have yeah what they describe their personality Um, right so at first you know even if the audience is laughing like oh of course you know like why would he but then he's into it and you can kind of empathize with that and be like all right maybe let's give this a second (laughs) chance and then it keeps rolling out and maybe you're making a little uh checklist yourself yeah but then what what did make me a little bit nervous and felt like a step backwards was the scene where there's that great reveal when they're on the porch and it kind of yeah. zooms out and yeah. you've got everybody on this giant porch swing. <laughs> yeah. But then just this little Foley choice of the creaking sound that the oh, whole structure okay. makes as they all stand up. It was like leaving that in there kind of turns it back into a fat joke. Right. But, yeah. and then, and so I, I was also thinking about this because the, I mean, I'm, I'm fat and I self-describe as fat, but a lot of people don't. And so I understand why, you know, like I've been using the adjective is overweight, but at the same time, the fact that like, a chair would creak when I get up is not something that I should be ashamed of. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And not something that these women should be ashamed of. And I thought it was really cool too, that the father, it's not as if he's like, Oh God, please marry one of my daughters. Like nobody else is going to right? Like he's like, my daughters are amazing and I love them. And you know, you should marry one because they're amazing. Right. He's never worried about them, uh, not being attractive to him. He really thinks yeah. that he, he's got something wonderful here as gross as that sounds to kind of like <laughs> sell off as, yeah. as brides. But so the fact that they get like the fact that it creaks when they get up, um, I mean, you know, the fact that this exists at all is, is not believable. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's like, you know, 12 meters wide, but, um, and I, and I am saying that they are playing that for a joke, but maybe, Maybe if camp is really smart, it's playing it for a joke to say to you, but frig, like, no matter how heavy you are, you get off a porch swing, it's probably going it's to crack. Creak. It creak. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. Because that was the thought process that went through my mind. Yeah. There was discomfort first and then this immediate check of maybe, hey, maybe that's me, so maybe that's not why you. Why do you exactly. laugh? But also why are you uncomfortable? So you're having all these, you know, these thoughts and, and yeah. And I think that, you know, the charitable reading is that the reason 
Pee-wee has nothing against any of these women. The reason he needs to get the heck out of there is because he's already got his soulmate. Yeah, he's you know? going to his soulmate's <laughs> birthday party. Exactly. Yep, yeah, yep, he's got some place to be. He's got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and so he, all these are interspersed with little sequences of him imagining Joe's birthday party. Right. right. Oh, I love are, those sequences. Yeah, those, those absolutely slow. <laughs> and they're in me. Spanish. They're so funny, but in like slow motion. Spanish and slow motion, and and Joe Manganello gets a gray Glenn Plaid suit like like Pee Wee. Right. Uh, oh, oh, uh, that's so sweet. Yeah. And I loved. Okay, I loved and also hated how bent out of shape Joe was that Pee Wee wasn't at the party <laughs> yet because I thought you were such a jerk like go down and be with your friends like you're <laughs> yeah. a terrible host but at the other on the other hand I was like this is actually really touching yeah. because you know because clearly... that, that's his that's his vapid Hollywood lifestyle that he's he's realized there's more to that right right like, Pee-wee's opened yeah. up this whole world to him so which uh, is what Pee-wee's doing for uh, us. right exactly and so so I watched I said I, I watched with my kids just uh we, we just watched one episode of the Playhouse and then like maybe the first half hour of the movie and then they had to go to bed. I watched the rest of it. And so my son, uh, you know, he was asking me about it. So he was like, you know, is so is Pee Wee a kid or a grown up? And then I said, I said, well, yes. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not really clear. He like he lives alone, but he seems like a kid. And then he was like, and is the other guy, is he a kid or a grown up? Because like that's oh, you know, like one of the, I I really thought the delightful thing about about Joe Manganello in there is that they like they play him, you know, he makes a good match for Pee Wee because it's not at all clear that he's a, not a kid. You know? Oh, true. Yeah, I didn't think, and that and that makes his like kind of yeah. like fit that he's throwing. His, right, he's like, pouting, he's throwing a fit, and and, <laughs> and uh, stuffing chips in his face. Yeah, yeah, and the woman who's like I don't know if she's his friend or his assistant or right, what, but yeah. she's like sort of like being very maternal and like okay, I'll tell them you're not ready. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's yeah. so cute. Yeah. I didn't think of it that yeah. way. But that's yeah, that's the the arrested development that happens when you when yeah. you become famous and you get money. You don't have to continue evolving as a person yeah that's right so you can be like he so he is in fact a good match for peewee because he's a celebrity a celebrity an apatovian celebrity man boy yeah. <laughs> what um i i think you were uh getting at this earlier rob is uh at the beginning he's this is the netflix that was ex- describing it as you know what, what did it say i want he wants to wants to get out of his small town rut or something like that sure because the the other um, the renegades that break up the band <laughs> yeah. tell him he's in a rut, but until that happens, he seems extremely happy in this rut. Like he yeah. does the same thing every day, and to the point where he has a Rube Goldberg machine to you know, get <laughs> yeah. him out of bed, and so he's very happy in this in this rut. And then the renegades breaking up, I think, is the 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 only thing that really goes wrong for yeah. him, right? Yeah, that's that's what I mean when I say that in some ways the sort of plot points of this seem a little bit half-assed. Like, mm. like, well, you need an inciting event, so I don't know. Maybe his his music group kicks him out or something. Right. I don't care. And like, it's not like it's not like do we <laughs> feel, do we care about that at any other point in the movie? They, I guess they come back at the very end. But, right, and uh, then they and yeah. then he kind of blows them off instead, yeah. which is funny. But actually, I was going to ask you because there's a part where he's describing because he tells Joe that he's like never left. Yeah. the town or something and I and I thought I was like didn't you have another movie where you went on an yeah. adventure yeah. and he says something and I didn't quite catch it but is he referring to the other movie no that's just a random he says right he says that he won a trip to go to Salt Lake City and there's a car crash and he got a plate in his head right, right. and that's of course that's the that's necessary at the end uh, but no that's that's so this exists in a whole different vacuum I, from right because this is this is Pee Wee Herman the real person. Mm-hmm. This is why it's Pee Wee Herman starring in yeah. Pee Wee's 
I get right, I guess oh so right Big so it's, it's, it is like the Muppets in that each time we see a Muppet movie well not counting the last two like they they sort of reset right like they're yeah. not all in continuity with one another because right. yeah because in Pee Wee's Big Adventure he clearly has a big adventure and you know and lots <laughs> of exciting when 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 Joe Manganiello says to him you know have you ever been a, in a fight have you ever had women fight over you have you ever, all these like. Like, I'm pretty sure he has done all those things. And okay. like I say, he's also been to the moon. He's also been in the circus. He's like, like if if all of his adventures are in continuity, then then he has had a really uh, thorough and uh, <laughs> he, he's had lots of adventures. But in this version, no, he's only lived in uh, in Fairville. So that's yeah. that's like a character he's playing, I guess. Except aliens come to visit him in Fairville, <laughs> like the beginning of oh, the movie. Oh, that's a dream. Is it a dream? Yeah, it's a oh, dream. Oh, okay. That's that's our first indication that maybe he's unhappy with where his life is at because oh, he has okay. this elaborate fantasy about meeting this ET analog. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay, weird. My bad. I missed from the ET Yeah, it was not. It was. I. I mean, I. I kind of was like, ooh, does this? Is it? Does it look bad on purpose to kind of set me up for you know the the yeah. kind of old old timey effects that it would have had <laughs> or something? But it does too. Yeah, like it. It serves that purpose. That in even in his dream world, it's a puppet being raised <laughs> up by a string. Right. Yeah. Um, have either of you seen Love? the Netflix original series? No, I haven't watched it yet. Because Paul Rust, the the star of oh, that yeah. and the writer of that is also the co-writer of this movie. So yes. I was wondering if there was any kind of connection there. Oh, He's also one of the Inglorious Bastards. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. I well I do think that just from my sort of, you know, keeping track of of Pee Wee Herman, I I I know that yeah, I don't know, this this is not this is not much of a of an anecdote or a point, but I I remember, yeah, I I, I knew that Paul Rust worked on this and um uh just that he was like you know a huge Pee Wee Herman fan basically that he had sort of said he was a huge Pee Wee Herman fan and uh, and, and influenced by him and, and it was maybe him that put uh Rubens in touch with Apatow or something like that okay that that's makes great sense. I love that I love that Netflix seems to be the vessel for which these things can kind of you know come come to fruition because Netflix seems totally on board with it as yeah, you said like it's, yeah. a, it's and I think you called it a nostalgia mine or something at some point. I wish so. In Netflix yeah. in general. As yeah, a, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And and yeah, and so I, I love that these these people who probably grew up, you know, mm-hmm. in the same same position as you as being like, this is a, a cool thing that I like, and then it's sad that this, you know, yeah. that this happened. Uh, now they have the clout to be able to to do it, and and Netflix is backing them up on it, mm-hmm. which is really neat. This is also is this this is one of the only. This is definitely the first movie that I've done on the podcast um, that has been a Netflix original. No, uh, yeah, because so there have been just the the three Netflix original movies now. I, I wrote about just Beast did... of No Nation. Um, so I wrote about Beast of No Nation. We didn't do anything with uh, Crushing Tiger, Hidden Dragon, the Green Sword oh, of that Destiny, was Netflix, or, right? right. Yeah, yeah. or whatever that was. But then this one is. Oh, and then I wrote about Ridiculous Six as well, but we haven't done one on the podcast yet. Right. So mm-hmm. this is this is the first Netflix original movie that um, the yeah. podcast has done. Yeah. yeah, and that's a whole different thing, right? Because there's not you don't have the same kind of. Um, uh, I mean, my exposure to it was just when it popped up on Netflix. I didn't sure. get the kind of you know um, trailers before movies and things like that. Yeah. And this, yeah. It's it's a it's a different uh, experience altogether, um, and I think one that Netflix is really uh, I'm I'm really happy that this exists now because even though I'm kind of on on the cusp of the the age group that they seem yeah. to be appealing to <laughs> oh, the most. give it time yeah, yeah. exactly that's what i mean it's like it's only <laughs> the gonna Muppet get Muppet baby's worse. movie or whatever <laughs> yeah 
That'd be great. <laughs> I mean, I know there are Muppet movies, but this would be this distinct Muppet baby revival movie. Exactly. Yes. Right. But um, so overall, the the tone that the thing that I, I think I appreciate the most about Pee Wee Herman as a concept, in as much as I can glean from this ninety minute movie, is this this positivity mm-hmm. that I know I've already said he's kind of tempered with this kind of grumpy cynicism, <laughs> but or whatever the child equivalent of cynicism is. But it, it is positive and affirming and you know it's 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 all about celebrating friendship and yeah and you know pursuing happiness and there are worse messages that you know to be put out there you know i'm comfortable with the idea of maybe with me on the couch with them but like my kids starting to to watch stuff like this yeah and even at the end when he returns to his home you know he's a bit different than when he started but he also shares all of the information and all the gifts of development with the people of the town where he starts introducing introducing garnishes to their plates <laughs> right? it's, right. it's not a selfish thing he brings it back and he shares with his community it's... yeah he's not like oh you wouldn't understand we did it in brooklyn or whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah just if you when you watch it with your kids skip over the scene when he sees the queen and her face melts and she has mouths in her oh, eyes oh yeah yeah like... <laughs> as soon as that happened i was like whoa this is a lot freakier than i was expecting for yeah did you? Did your kids? No, see that? no, we no, didn't. They, we didn't, we didn't get that far, right? but it just, it was just on my mind. I was although like, they've they have seen that Snapchat lens, so uh, oh, it's a Snapchat <laughs> thing. Should be okay, they yeah. probably they, yeah, that's true. But it's when it was melting, was the scariest yeah, part for yeah. me. I was like, well, this is kind of kind of getting well, creepy. That was the other thing that I also knew yeah. about Pee Wee Herman by reputation yeah. is I've never seen anything with Pee Wee Herman, but I'm aware of the image of Large Marge. Yes, yes right. I'm just gonna say. I could not remember if that was the same character because yeah. I, I I was like, is that Ernest or Pee Wee Herman? Like that's how messed <laughs> up they are in my head. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, okay, so that is the yeah, same. Yeah, so there's character. one there's one kind of terrifying moment in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. That's right. right. So maybe that's part of the the recipe too. Is okay now. Let's just scare the pants off the kids once. Yeah, yeah. it was like an, it was the homage to Tim Burton, I guess. Yeah. Have this weird yeah. face. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I I can picture that in my head and I can't picture who's in the other seat. <laughs> Oh man! All right, I uh... wait. We we need to talk about the the last scene of the movie where and and Robbie already commented on how many motorbike rides they probably <laughs> go on. But I was so happy to see them peel away with Pee Wee in the driver's seat of the motorcycle. But what does this mean? So does did Joe move to Fairville with Pee Wee? Does he just visit very often, or what's going on here? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, obviously they're together at the end, and this is. Uh... Um, you know, they didn't get a kiss, like you said, but it's pretty close to that. Right. And, uh, and Pee-wee gets to ride the, drive the bike now. Yeah, yeah. He, I guess you're allowed to think what you want about whether is this he's just visiting or is he is he come back to stay. But because um, I was a little surprised to see Pee-wee back in Fairville. Uh, I guess not. Like you say, he's back, but he's changed now. He's sophisticated. He's cosmopolitan. <laughs> he puts garnishes on the on the meals. So considering how much I love Pee Wee Herman, it's funny how much this movie relies, the best parts of it rely on Manganello or the chemistry with Pee Wee and Manganello. Like those are all the best parts in a way is when he's when the two of them are together. And that's not what would happen in uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, right? Like Pee Wee's Playhouse doesn't think need so. that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you... I do remember wondering if there was something between him and Larry Fishburne, but, uh, but it's, <laughs> they didn't have that same pop, you know, as this. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Dylan? At the end of the day, I don't think it really matters what the definition gets put on. No, I think no, it's no just, that's not what I asked. Yeah. I said, what no, do you think? No, I think that <laughs> I think that it's important, though, that, you know, Pee Wee has changed and Joe Manganiello is 
better for having met Pee-wee. And, you know, these people have kind of shared something with each other and they're both better for it. And that's that's that, that positive message of sharing and caring that I mean, it's a great way to end the movie because that that's the whole point of the thing. Or at least that's one of the points of the thing. <laughs> yeah. But do you think that Joe moved to Fairville? This is what I'm asking. But that's what I'm saying, is that it doesn't matter. I'm going to say it's Thank better you. if he does. I'm going to say it's better if he does. You don't want him to sort of visit and then say, okay, I'm going back to be on True Blood or whatever. Right, yeah. and it also kind of seemed like uh, the way that Pee-wee was finishing up his um, shift just kind yeah. of seemed like a regular everyday a thing. Regular and Joe's going to come pick me up. Right, and, Joe's yeah. going to pick me up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's better if he does. Yeah, yeah. me too. All right, well, I think that's as good a place as any to start wrapping this sucker up. So... Yeah, the way I always like to do so is by inviting everybody to share their their star rating as this fit into their own Netflix profile. So one star meaning you hated it, two stars means didn't like it, three stars means liked it, four stars really liked it, and five stars means you loved it. As well, uh, an MVP from the movie. So whoever escalated this or, or brought it up to the, the next notch for you. So Rob, what do you think? You know, I never do click the stars on Netflix because I don't. think that, uh, yeah, it's like I never do click the stars and I never open e-invites. I think you get on a list or something if you do that and it goes <laughs> straight to the NSA. But if you promise not to click it in. I, if I'm in your Netflix profile, yeah. you have bigger problems. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I guess I will say, I think that if I try to look at it objectively, which I really can't do, but if I tried to look at it objectively, I might say, three stars, but it's going to coast to four on, you know, my deep well of affection for Paul Rubens and Pee Wee Herman. And, and, and the, you know, so it gets one star out of nostalgia and affection. And uh, so I'll give it four. On the one hand, it's nice to reach the age and demographic when uh, all sorts of nostalgia stuff is kind of served up to you. Um, on the other hand, you feel kind of dirty, like just like like accepting it and just wallowing in like your past in that way. And this is fun. I, I understand the irony of me saying that, given the other podcast that I do. <laughs> but so what you always hope for is that the thing will be good enough to survive on its own merits. It's nostalgia that gets you there, but you hope that the thing will be good enough to, to get by on its own merits. I don't know that this pulls that off mm. entirely, but uh, like I said, uh, I have a ton of, like, a huge reservoir of goodwill built up for Pee Wee and Paul Rubens, and we owe him, uh, we as a culture, I'm not blaming you guys for <laughs> what happened in 1991, but, uh, and so, yeah, you know, it, I, he can make as many of those as he wants for Netflix, and I, I will, I will, I will watch them all. Right on. And uh, MVP. I, given what I've said, I feel like there's two candidates, but uh, um, I, I mean, I, I have to say that the Pee Wee Paul Rubens is the MVP. Now, Caroline, um, how about yourself? Okay, so uh, what you were saying, Rob, about how um, something you were hoping that it stands alone, not mm -hmm. just on its nostalgic value, that reminded me of last summer when. Wet Hot American Summer, the oh, um, yeah. series came out. Right. So I've never seen the movie Wet Hot American Summer. And I, you know, had absolutely nothing to do that week, apparently. And mm -hmm. I watched the entire series in, in, in a week, <laughs> actively hating it the oh. whole way through. <laughs> like, I went in, Dazed and Confused is my favorite movie of yeah, all time. It's a great movie. Thank you. I agree. I hate when people are like, Meh. and I'm like, no, this, there's something there, man. Um, <laughs> but I went in to Wet Hot American Summer, hoping for kind of like a Dazed and Confused at summer camp, you yeah, know, with a slightly yeah. different um, decade. 
totally not what it is at all you know like so goofy and so over the top and and almost similar to not that i not that i hated this movie at all but almost similar to this i kind of wish i'd gone in knowing that there was going to be a a talking soup can and things like that so that i could at least adjust my expectations and have enjoyed it more Uh uh-huh uh-huh so for me, that series does not stand on its own at all. Everybody that I know who really liked the series um, really liked the movie and has a nostalgic value right, to the movie, right? right? Um, so for, for me, that fell flat entirely. For this, even though I didn't have the nostalgic value, my star rating is three. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was really fun. Um, you know, there were ter- parts where I was looking at the time being like, how long, <laughs> you know, man, now he's, you know, with like grizzly adams oh that grizzly adams uh where he was doing like that like stand-up about yeah. how his dad does it that was hilarious <laughs> yeah, that's right that was so fun that was, it was a long way to get there but yeah that was yeah that was it was a, a long moment. way to get yeah. there literally they walked a long way to get there but yeah i thought that was that was really there were there were some and this is why it gets three stars for me because there were some moments where it came the self-awareness became uh went past the point that felt kind of um you know too like you were saying um uh, you you said that it doesn't. He never winks at the camera yeah. type of thing. Where there were some some things where I was like, okay, now of course you need to have a, a this type of sequence or whatever. But that Grizzly Adams one is one where it becomes kind of so so self aware that it's actually saying something. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's actually I, I I appreciated it. So yeah, so I'm giving it three stars. I liked it, um, and I would totally you know go back and look at the the series now that I kind of have this um, curiosity about how much weirder it could be when it was a you know, a daytime or a Saturday morning, Saturday morning kids show, kids show. Yeah. And then my, uh, MVP would definitely have to be Pee Wee Herman playing himself. Uh, for sure. I mean, like he, the, the, the nice thing about having a, a cast where Joe Manglione is Manganello, Manganello, (laughs) man. Sorry, Joe. I cannot say your name. Okay. The nice thing about having a cast where like Joe is one of the biggest stars. And then like the guy who owns the diner is a big, star too i've recognized him too but there was just only a couple others that yeah. i even recognized but um is is that peewee really stands out even more and not not in kind of that way that sometimes the muppets where they have like and here's you know ray liotta like <laughs> <laughs> right and it's like it's like yeah. so very the whole time you're like oh my god it's ray liotta the whole time and you can't yeah. even yeah. listen to what he's saying because you're like oh it's so funny that they use ray liotta so this i didn't get that at uh, that sense at all and so i thought that peewee really got to be the the star focus and like the center of attention and um and that he totally deserved it because the character is just fantastic and the idea that he went on you know the uh raw as himself and all these other <laughs> hilarious things that's fantastic and th- those are the types of things that i i wish kind of happened more um that that character more things were character driven i guess yeah. than kind of like worrying about these ensemble casts or uh when he was, uh, this is a bit of a tangent. I'm sorry, but when 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 he was kind of in the wilderness, when nobody would touch him, or else he wouldn't do the character, uh, Paul Rubens got um, asked to be on the Surreal Life, this uh, reality show where they take a bunch of kind of washed up celebrities yeah, and, and they, they all in house, live yeah. in a house together. And he uh, he said they asked him three times to do it. I heard this interview uh, with him where he said they asked him three times to do it and he was really kind of depressed and didn't want to admit that that was what had happened to his career. But the third time he said, he started to think about it and he said, I'll do it if you let me do the whole six weeks in character as Pee Wee. Oh my God. 
and also that my roommate is Jose Canseco. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and they wouldn't let him do that, so it never oh, happened. No, that would have been uh, gold. <laughs> he was like, I think I can do it. I think I can stay in character for six weeks. Oh, they, wow. I hope they're kicking themselves now. Yeah, yeah maybe. Wow, that's awesome. But yeah, so that's three terrific. stars and Paul Rubens, or sorry, Pee Wee Herman, not Paul Rubens. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman is my. Paul Rubens as Pee Wee Herman, as Pee Wee Herman. As Pee Wee Herman, yeah. So for me, uh, three stars for many of the same reasons that have already been said. I enjoyed some of it <laughs> quite a bit. I would never get to the really liked it part. The parts that didn't really hit for me, I don't know if it was due to those parts not being for me or if they were maybe not parts that were for me because they were trying to cash in on some nostalgic currency that they'd laid uh-huh. you know, decades before. It didn't feel complete all the time yeah. or like it was fully yeah, fleshed absolutely. out. Like there's... there's it wasn't quite there, but it has all the right elements. So, you know, I'm fine with the idea of the, the character returning again and this being a, you know, this being a thing again. I think that it, it deserves a, another look and and some more time. As far as the MVP, I'm going to go to the, the other one. I'm going to say Joe Manganiello. Because for me, Good. as a new person to the series, he was a great window into that. But also, even before you find out that he's playing himself, uh-huh. he has that amazing Fonz entrance. And that was my first laugh out loud <laughs> yeah. moment where he hits the jukebox, it plays a song, hits it again, <laughs> skips the track, and then hits it for the third time in triple cool. And it makes a mashup of where the first two songs. It makes a mashup songs. of the first two songs. It's so funny. And, and yeah, he, he has a lot of the best lines right. and uh, you know delivers them in this really fascinating way. And what I... Sorry, that's the... The idea that's been scratching at the back of my mind that I wanted to say is it is really fascinating for just like the concept of Pee Wee Herman mm-hmm. that he's a man playing this child, man, man, child thing. Yeah. But it's never not safe. It's it's like it's very sweet. And so like the when you when you say that people, you know, there were some mm-hmm. people who were just kind of like waiting to pounce as soon as there was a crack yeah. in this you know, it, in you know, people just wanting to attack the weirdness. Yeah. I never felt that. Like I didn't, I, I didn't feel like it was never. Like, he's never not okay. Yeah. Like, it's it's fine. Like he's he's eccentric. He's strange. But you know, if if he buys my kids ice cream, I'm gonna let them eat it. You know. Well, and it, yeah, and it helps that everybody in the town loves him, right? Like he's great at what he does, and everybody thinks he's wonderful. And you, you know, he's his all of his weirdness is completely accepted by all of these people in the town, and not because they're weird. Like they, it's not right. a it's not an entirely weird town where everybody thinks that this is the the norm. They all love Pee Wee for who he is, which I think is the best the best message of the whole movie. And that's another thing too. Yeah, is people I, are mean to Forrest Gump, but they love Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the I when when Joe said you know that he's himself, I was kind of like, uh, this is silly. Yeah. But I actually really and then and then and then they kind of just became best friends immediately, and I was kind of <laughs> like, this is silly. But then I I realized that it's actually really nice that that happened because it just meant it was just another thing where Pee Wee didn't have to prove himself to anybody. You know, we yeah. immediately have um, this person accepting peewee for who he is he never had to go out and try to be someone else except that is kind of the plot of the movie is that he's going to get more experiences but he doesn't have to be less weird right and joe manganello is i mean he's our proxy he's the real world immediately giving us permission to be okay with everything that peewee is now let's just go along for that ride yeah Yeah. nobody ever 
Like it just the question never comes even comes up. Nobody ever even says, "What's the deal with this Pee Wee guy? Why is he like this?" And yeah, a- anybody who notices that he's strange adores him. Like the, yeah. the people in the mobile hair salon, yeah. Penny King. She's just immediately taken with him. She's seen the whole world and she sees something <laughs> in him that's special. Yeah, yeah, she calls him cosmopolitan, which I thought was so cute. <laughs> Cool. So, uh, Rob, thank you so much for coming on and agreeing oh, to do this. Oh, thank you for and, having me, guys. This is so much fun. Thank you. Uh, so is there anything that uh, that you're working on that the, you'd like the world to know about? I mean, you have one of my favorite podcasts that you help create. So, Yeah, that's, uh, that's you know, we're kind of on summer hiatus, but Mike and I have been talking. We're going to get recording again soon. So uh, hold my order, Terrible Dresser. That's the deep dive history nerd WKRP in Cincinnati podcast more pop culture and nostalgia for you but we always say uh, that uh, you don't need to have even watched WKRP it, uh, to listen to it it's really kind of a, a show about history and pop culture history uh, and and about the 1970s and the 1980s and so we are going to be the third season of that should be starting up uh, either late summer or early fall um, and uh, and then I'll I'll toss in a plug for Mike's other podcast. Mike, uh, my co-host, uh, he um, and his his wife Jenny Ancorn are just about to launch uh, um, the whole shebang, which is a going to be a minute by minute analysis in the spirit of uh, the Star Wars minute and the Goodfellas minute of uh, the movie Velvet Goldmine, and. Uh, that you know again this is, we're getting into very sort of niche interests here but that is definitely a movie that can sustain a sort of minute by minute there's a lot packed into that very cool movie about the history of glam rock and and i can't think of anybody better than than mike and jenny to to be tour guides through that so watch for that as well that's fantastic how about you caroline um no i'm just gonna tell everybody to go and listen to both of those podcasts because <laughs> I already know that Hold My Order uh, Terrible Dresser is fantastic. I always have to, I cannot say that whole thing in one yeah. <laughs> breath. Hold My Order Terrible Dresser. That's why they put in the comma for you. It, it's a... Right, but I said, uh, in the middle of it. Like, <laughs> we didn't hear? know a lot about search engine optimization when we came up with that name. But, uh, right, yeah, because there's a lot of dashes in that URL, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I love that podcast. Uh, I, I'm not a podcast person and that's the only podcast that I uh-huh. actually, I mean, I don't listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's good you should <laughs> <laughs> i mean do as i say not as i do obviously but um yeah uh and i i really i don't i i think i remember telling you that i saw a couple episodes in syndication when you know like friday nights when i was like 10 years old or something yeah. like that and there was nothing else to do because you're 10 years old and so i was watching it and i remember thinking you know this is definitely uh one of those like hokey campy things my dad likes and so therefore i find it hilarious <laughs> um but i never had a, a a nostalgic draw to it but what i really like about the podcast is all the other stuff that comes up because um even though you're you're basing your conversations on the two episodes per episode so much is drawn into it from you know just not even just what's happening in the episode but what's what's happening when the episode aired and yeah it's fantastic it's a really great and i know that dylan you're a huge fan of it as well oh, thank you yeah yes. i mean based on the demographics of our show i think it's safe to say that a lot of our listeners haven't seen wkrp in cincinnati <laughs> but but that should not be a barrier of entry into uh into some great conversations so yeah oh, thanks thanks all right well that's going to wrap up everything that we had to say about Wee's big holiday if you liked what you heard today head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of our content like show notes articles and reviews 
You can also find us on all sorts of social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, Twitter at Netflix Pod. You can also find me there at Dylan Clark Moore. And you can find me there at D-I-E-Z-Y-N. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter as Robotnik, R-O-B-O-T-N-I-K. Rob like- has the coolest... <laughs> Twitter URL in the whole world. It's I ported it over from Live Journal in like 2007 or something like that. <laughs> I've been on Twitter for a long time. And we're also on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can find me on Letterboxd. That's Letterboxd with no E before the D at Dylan Clark Moore. And I'm on there at uh, D-I-E-Z-Y-N again, my same uh, URL as my Twitter. Hey, so is mine. We should just say that. And uh, that's, uh, at least my profile, is the only place where you can see a comprehensive list of all the titles coming up that we are going to be talking about moving forward. Yeah, and I would just like to plug Letterboxd again because we have a really good time over there. If you uh, enjoy our snark whatsoever, you should join us on Letterboxd and review some of your own movies in a very snarky way Mm -hmm. with HTML, which is super fun. So if you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. One is by heading over to iTunes or whichever podcast platform you prefer and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you. While you're there, you can drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. But even more importantly than telling a computer how you feel, why not tell a friend about podcasting in general or maybe even tell them about our show? Because your word is going to count a lot more to your friends than it is to strangers. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign, whether it's for the rewards or if you'd just like to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at Patreon.com. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore, and our theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast. And be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog, because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet. (laughs) 